Hello, 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 and welcome to Canadian Made, the podcast where each week we go behind the scenes of the Canadian entertainment industry to bring you the stories of how film and television gets made and the people who make it. This week, we are joined by Allison Grace. Allison is the VP of content at Proper Television and an executive producer on many shows that you know and love, including Mary Makes It Easy and Lost Car Rescue, both of which she gives us the inside scoop on in this interview. She tells us all about the process of development on these shows and what it's really like to work with Mary Berg. This episode is particularly fun because of how open and honest Allison is about being an executive producer and all of the the challenges and the triumphs that it brings. Allison also has some great stories about how she got into the industry and her time within the industry. She is so articulate and such a great storyteller, so I have no doubt that you are going to be completely compelled by her journey in the industry. And I just have to mention as well that she showed up to this interview looking simply sensational. So without further ado, let's get into my conversation with the wonderful Allison Grace. Starting off at the very beginning, I'm really interested how you got your very, very first job in the industry. Oh, yeah, that's a good one. I was uh, in university and I was working at a very sketchy bar uh, in Toronto. One of my regulars was part of a group of like kind of cool young people that hung out at this totally disgusting sketchy bar and she was in TV and we became friends. Anyway, I was studying political science because I was going to be a diplomat. Wow. Your film. I was going to be a diplomat. Yeah. Um, Or so I thought. And uh, anyway, we were talking one day and she was telling me that she was starting to write. She was a writer um, starting to write on this like new teen talk show that the CBC was doing. So we started talking about it and it was, you know, very earnest in a good way. It was like trying to cover like social and political topics that teens were interested in. This was like, I'm very old. I'm like 150 years old. So it was (laughs) in the 90s, in the like mid 90s. I was a political science student and we were sort of talking and she, and I was like, that sounds really interesting. And she was like, well, why don't you come intern? Like just come intern there for a couple of days and see what you think. So <clears throat> I did that. And I can't remember, it wasn't very long that I'd been there. Like, honestly, maybe I'd done a few days. And one day I was sitting in my little closet uh, doing, <laughs> doing my intern work And my friend walked past with a box of stuff and she was like, yeah, so I just quit. If you want to stick around, that's kind of up to you, but you're not being paid anyway. So it's not like they can fire you. And I'm like, "Uh, okay. And she left. And then within minutes, um, the producer of the show, who I've now worked with many times, he's hilarious and kind of nuts in a good way. He walked up to me and he's like, what's your name? Ah, never mind. Who cares? He's like, do you know how to produce? I'm like, uh, sure. And he's like, great, you've got a job. And I was hired as an associate producer, like slash researcher on this show. And that's how I got my start in TV. And it just kind of went off from there. Yeah. It was completely weird, random. It makes no sense. And in fact, my friend who quit 
we're still really good friends. She's a writer in LA. And we were just laughing about that story the other day. Like I actually, in my mind, I thought, I thought a bunch of people got fired, but she was like, no, 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 I quit. I'm like, oh yeah, I do remember that. Yeah. So. So it's been fact-checked already. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <Top> mind. <laughs> I love that. So you're now, you know, a hotshot producer, but okay. yes, just in case you didn't know, mm. you are. <laughs> okay, good to know. <laughs> I don't um, know who to talk to, but I, I hope that I paid them well. <laughs> but you did some directing before that. Yeah. So I'm curious about, you know, how you got into directing and, mm-hmm. and how you kind of found the passion for producing and, and why you went kind of decided to go that path. Yeah, it, it's funny. You know, um, I, I guess when I got into the business, I really, I thought directing was it. Like that's, I was like, if you're cool and you're creative <laughs> and you're like, you've got it going on, you're a director. I, I, I mean, I have a tremendous amount of respect for directors and writers. And, you know, I, I did it. I, I did it quite a bit. Like the first time I did it, I guess, was on my first documentary that I produced and directed. And it was like, I loved it. What I loved was doing interviews. I loved doing interviews. That was my favorite thing. But I never found myself to be particularly strong as a visual director. Like once I started meeting really mm. great really great directors. I was like, yeah, I don't, I don't know that I have that. So documentary directing, I really enjoyed because it, it, for me, it was much more about like the interview and, and, and getting to the heart of the interview. But to be honest with you, I struggled for a long time to not produce because I was like, no, I'm going to be a director, but naturally I was always falling into the producing side of things. So even to the point that I would almost self-sabotage myself, like if I was directing something, I would be talking to the producer and saying, well, you could probably like think about this in a different way. Like we could probably save costs and we could be more efficient with how we shoot this. And like, who do, you don't do that if you're a director, you take as much as you can to make the best show. And I was always worried about like, you know, I was always very on top of like crew management, making sure everybody was okay. And like thinking about every aspect, big picture of what I was doing, as opposed to just focusing on directing. And so after a while, I kind of got to the point where I was like, I think I'm actually better at producing than directing. And that's, you know, that's just sort of, I just, I guess I found my strengths were more on that side than on the directing side. That said, I did love directing. I did love it. So can you articulate a little bit more what you felt like those strengths were? Like being a big picture person seems to be one of them. Yeah, being a big picture person, like really, you know, and certainly it depends, like when you say directing, like it's not like I was directing films. Do you know what I mean? And that's a very different world. But certainly in, in our world, in the unscripted world, when you're a director, you're usually brought on like, very um <clears throat> you don't have a lot of prep time you kind of come in you, you you get what you need to get and you get out it's not like you're part of the development of the show it's not like you get to have a big piece of sort of the the visual plan for the show you're not involved in post so I found that a bit frustrating because I would come in and I'd have no control I'm like okay so I'm just here to like shoot and get you what you need. And I hope you know what you need because otherwise what I'm doing here is kind of pointless. Do you, do you know what I mean? Like it's just, yeah. we just don't have the kind of T 
typically we don't have the kind of budgets and support where you can bring a director on from the very beginning and kind of work through the whole show with them. So it's, I just found that a bit frustrating to be honest with you, because, you know, like, and I would always sneak around and ask the post people, like, how was the footage and could it have been better? And cause I wanted to learn as a director, but you just don't get those opportunities very often. So. And in, I mean, in the short life of the podcast so far, all of the producers I found have certain characteristics and yeah. you've just articulated them being really good managers of people, good leaders, being mm-hmm. maybe a little bit um, wanting to be in control of things in a good way, <laughs> because you have, <laughs> <laughs> but in a good way, because you have to, you know, you have, there has to be someone at the helm who's got the vision and can lead. So yeah. I think it's really interesting to articulate it like that. And, you know, if you're listening and you're that type of person, it's, I think it's good to hear from someone who's done a couple of things to think, okay, maybe I'm not using my skills to the best of their ability and, and how can I be using them better and, and see those options? Cause I think that that's one of the struggles within the industry is how elusive certain roles are. Yeah. And especially, I mean, you, you just mentioned, you know, when you're a director, you don't know what the editing process looks like. And it's yeah. difficult, even when you're there to figure out but it is. Yeah, it's funny. It's really interesting. Back, I think about, you know, this was a long time ago that I was directing for like a pretty, you know, intense period of time. But like, I can't imagine now if I was working with a director and they'd never had any experience in post and they'd never like truly developed a show from the beginning. Like, it's just, it's kind of been like, that's how we worked before. And it it's just kind of impossible. You're working in a vacuum. You You have no sense of how... The, the big picture, the story's coming together. You're not involved in the writing. You're not, you know, I, I, I certainly, when I can, I love to have directors who also have producing experience or they've been involved in other aspects of production. So they have a bigger understanding of, of, of how their work gets used within the bigger story. Yes. So speaking of developing things from the get-go. Yeah. Mary Berg's new show. Mm. Uh, I have to ask you about how that got off the ground, what that process looked like, because of course she's kind of a Canadian star. So maybe it's not surprising that she gets her own show, but I'm sure that the process of putting it together is a lot more complex than just that. (laughs) Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, to be fair, you know, proper's relationship with Mary goes back further than my relationship with Mary because she was season um, three winner of MasterChef Canada. And I believe it was shortly after that, that, Proper started trying to develop a show with her. And I say, I think, because I was typically at Proper, the food shows fall under Kathy James, who's our co-president and the head of creative at the company. But I, I'm trying to recall, like I was working on a number of things and she was working on a number of things. And I think what happened was they had developed this show with Belle from Mary. And this is not Mary's show that's on now. It was Mary's Kitchen Crush, which was the first iteration of her her in the kitchen, they call them ITK's uh, cooking show. So they developed that for some time. And in fact, I, I believe they had done like a couple of other pilots with her. Like they tried out a few different types of shows. And the one that really landed was like a straightforward cooking show. I mean, there's very few people that can stand uh, behind a counter for an entire episode by themselves and be incredibly engaging and entertaining and uh, a bit of a superstar. And Mary's one of those people. Yeah. So they developed that. And what happened was Kathy had a lot on her plate. And I recall at one point saying to her, like, uh, do you want me to help with this show? Because 
you know, my load had lightened a little bit. Um, so I, it was just, it just sort of happened that I ended up coming over to see what was happening on Mary's kitchen crush. And the next thing I know I was, I was working on that show. So that was the first uh, cooking show, but yeah, it was, it was developed, you know, Bell was also the broadcaster for master chef Canada. So proper had a long term relationship with them. They, I mean, how could you not love Mary and see her star quality? So I think, you know, and it worked for them at the time with their programming needs. So yeah, like, and, but I do know there was a long development process. There was a number of different shows that they were working on with her. And this was sort of the one that stuck. So yeah, we did 25 episodes of that show. And then we were developing a sort of a different version of, of that show, like another cooking show with her. And then the, the pandemic hit and we all got kind of sidelined as everybody else did as well. But luckily we were able to then produce, um, uh, another batch of shows, which is, uh, Mary makes it easy. And what a good show. I mean, COVID obviously hasn't finished yet, but what a good show for, being in quarantine because uh, everyone was learning how to cook. So <laughs> perfect. Well, exactly. And also like Mary's style of cooking is so relaxed and, uh, you know, relatable. She's so relatable. Um, she's not doing stuff that makes it challenging. You have to get certain ingredients. Like she's great with modifications. And then there's also just her personality. Like she's such a genuine ray of sunshine and positivity that like, why would you not want to sit and watch 25 episodes of Mary cooking. You know what I mean? Like, it's just a no brainer to me, but. Definitely. Yeah. So proper TV is certainly having a bit of a moment right now. I mean, it's been having a moment for a long time, but it's uh, really popping, I think right now. And so I'm curious, you know, you worked with them as an executive producer and you were been bumped up to uh, VP of content. And so I'm curious what that transition was like and, and what it means to go from being an executive producer to vice president of content. Yeah. I mean, I'm sure you're aware there were a lot of changes in the company um, over the past few years. Um, we were acquired by Boat Rocker Media um, and went through like a transition period with that. I wouldn't compare it to a change in title at other companies necessarily in the same way, just because as much as it may seem surprising, Proper is actually quite small. And the people that have worked there have worked there for a very long time. So we have a very different working relationship there. So I think, you know, it's not that my role changed significantly. It was that Kathy James and Lysha Capone, who are the uh, the co-presidents of the company, I think they just recognize that, you know, what I was doing or what I was contributing um, to the company was going to be acknowledged in a different way, if that makes sense. And I think, you know, my, my, my role there is typically executive producer in that, depending on the number of shows that are happening at the company, I might work on one show or I might work on three shows at a time. But when there's an in-between, which isn't very often, when there is an in-between, I do my best to contribute to the development of other projects. So I'm constantly talking to our director of development, Brenda Myers, um, talking to Kathy, just trying to figure out like what's next, how can I help? I try to be very involved when it comes to any show that's got um, paid development, um, active development. I definitely try to get involved at that stage just because you, uh, you've always got to operate under the assumption that you might get handed that show to produce. 
So you really want to be on top of like, you know, and not to say that the development team isn't very capable, but it's great to have that conversation because as a producer, sometimes you can say, oh, what about this? Or what about that? Or, are you, you know, we might want to push for more days if we're doing the budget, or we might want to consider this host and this may bring in a number of um, different issues. So I definitely try to be involved at that stage of development. If I'm able, depending on the time, I'm, I might be more involved in ideas generating. But to be fair, I really haven't been able to do much of that in the last couple of years, only because it's been busy. So yeah. So what does that process look like when you come in the room, when you're thinking up ideas? What happens when I come into the room and they're developing things? Or how, how do you assist in developing ideas? Are you, do you come with fresh ideas? Do you come with, um, you know, other formats that you've seen from, you know, other countries that you think, oh, we could really bring this to Canada? Yeah, you know what? It's changed a lot. It's changed a lot just because the industry has changed a lot in the last five years. I think it's also changed in terms of how we've, we've transitioned from, you know, an independent production company to being part of a bigger uh, media company. You know, it used to be more like bring ideas to the table uh, because I think we also had um, a different relationship with broadcasters at the time. Like you kind of knew every year, like, okay, we're going to pitch to this person, this person, and this person. And hopefully out of those three broadcasters, we'll get one, you know, or we'll get two development and one of them will stick. It doesn't really work like that anymore. And I think now it's much more targeted, you know, um, Kathy and Brenda are, are much more involved in communicating with Boat Rocker and, and all of the, you know, departments there about like, what's going to sell? What's going to sell? Like, obviously, Kathy and Brenda have a good idea of what proper is strong at producing. But it's, it, you know, and they'll get very targeted in terms of certain buckets that they want to fill. But it's really about constant conversations with broadcasters and streamers and what are they looking for? What can we come up with? You know, what can we find if it's a format that's really going to fit that bucket, mm-hmm. that need, that demand? It's not so like throw things at the wall and see what happens. <laughs> Because it's like, well, if no one's interested in buying that, that's not a great use of time or resources. So it's much more streamlined and focused now, I would say, in the last few years. That's really interesting. Really excited to see that you had worked on a show called Lost Car Rescue. Um, and I was just curious about how how that idea even came into the room and, and what that, it must have been really fun and enlightening to see this whole new world, to see under the hood of a whole new world. Yeah, I mean, to be fair, Proper's actually had a very long history of producing like car shows and shows, yeah. you know what I mean? Like the whole company was built on Canada's Worst Driver. Um, of course, of course. Yeah, the company produced um, Vegas Rat Rods, which was a huge success. And uh, I actually was also the producer on uh, Last Stop Garage. Um, which was all shot in Labrador. I think we did three seasons of that. So we've done and multiple other car shows don't drive here. Like the, the car shows were actually like food, something that proper specialized in. I think there's just less opportunities to do car shows now. Um, so I weirdly had already done quite a few car shows, uh, <laughs> which is very strange. But yeah, that idea came to us quite a few years ago, actually, the uh, star of the show, Matt Sager, 
um, had come to proper with the idea because it's what he does. And he, you know, he has his own plane, he flies around, he like drops a pin whenever he sees an old, you know, an old car somewhere and then goes back and tries to salvage it. And so he had pitched this idea to proper and it was developed like, I want to say three years ago. And then we went into, you know, there was a couple of different broadcasters that were interested in it. And then we finally landed with history and we did a fairly fulsome development period. And then the pandemic hit and we had to put everything on hold for a year. So again, that, that I believe it was three years ago that we started developing that and, and working, um, working on that project. So it's hugely satisfying to see it on the air. We're like, how did that, we, you know, there were so many times where we actually didn't think it was going to happen. Yeah. And it's a great show. It's a great show. And it's, it, it's, I think very real in the car space. Like it's, it's not kind of what you would expect necessarily these days. It doesn't feel like highly produced. It's not highly dramatic. Um, it's just these really very likable people um, who have a deep passion for what they do. I think it's really resonating with audiences. We're getting a lot of positive feedback on that show. People oh, are really liking just, like you said, seeing under the hood. It's not about the finished product it's a, or the restoration, which is very unusual in the car, car TV show world. Um, it's about how you get to that. It's about how you mm -hmm. find those gems, those hidden gems. Yeah, that sounds like a lot of fun. And there's, I really think that there's such a market for it. And it's also kind of relaxing to watch those types of shows sometimes. I know that sounds a little weird to say, but if you're not a car enthusiast. <laughs> um, so I want to know what, what was your Hollywood moment so far in your career? The moment that you thought, wow, this was such a cool, cool, special moment. Oh, wow. Oh my God. I mean, there's been lots of moments along the way. It's funny. I think I would say the two highlights, certainly in the last kind of, you know, decade would be two very different experiences. The first is completely weird and probably not what you would expect to hear. But I worked on a documentary years ago with someone who I became very dear friends with, Albert Mazels, who's since passed away, but he was like a very big documentary filmmaker in the U.S. for years, him and his brother. And we worked on this project in New York. Um, it had taken him 25 years to make this film. And it was following the artists Jean-Claude and Christo, who had finally fulfilled their dream of erecting these gates in uh, Central Park. Um, and the artists do these, you know, or did, they have both passed away since, since the film uh, aired as well, but they did these incredible art installations all over the world. And it was incredible. It was an incredible experience. It's not a Hollywood moment. There's no celebrities. To be honest, like if I even went back and thought about what I was paid, it would, I probably paid to do it. <laughs> so I was in staying in a, an apartment in New York for about six weeks to do it. But it was so special because all of these people who loved Albert Mazels, the filmmaker, had come from literally all around the world to be a part of this project and to help him fulfill this dream of, of making this documentary. And then there were all these other people that had come and volunteered their time to help the artists erect these gates in the park. And they, you know, I don't think any of us were paid, which 
we didn't care, but it, every day they would put on this beautiful, lavish lunch for us um, in the middle of Central Park. And everyone was there because they had so much respect and were so inspired by all the artists that were involved in the project. It was so special. It was like a once in a lifetime thing. And then, and then to see the gates erected in all of New York and people from all over the world coming to appreciate it. And you're like, I had a little part of that. So that to me is like, honestly, it, it was one of the most incredible moments. It, it, weirdly, like volunteering in freezing cold weather in Central Park for weeks. So th there was that. The other thing I honestly, I would say is working with Mary Berg. Really? Yeah, because, you know, she's really, she's really unique. She's really special. She's so driven. And <clears throat> I tell her this all the time and she's like, oh my God, come on, you're making me feel crazy. But, you know, she raises the bar and in, in the sense that you want to do so well for her and you want to make it as great as you can and not just the show, but the experience. And we really had that on Mary Makes It Easy where, like every person that was involved in that show just absolutely loved every second of it and, and then loved the show as well. And it's, it doesn't always happen like that. Sometimes you get a great show and, and then people are like, oh my God, I almost killed everybody on the show. It was the worst experience or you had the best time. And then the show comes on and you're like, oh, okay, that's not great. This was everything. Plus it happened during the pandemic when people's spirits were really low. People didn't know what was going to happen. So to be able to have an experience like that during that time and then have a great show on top of it, like it, that's pretty special. And then to contrast both of those wonderful moments, have you ever had a moment in the industry that you thought, oh gosh, I just cannot do that. And then <laughs> kind of how you yeah. overcame All it. Oh. Like every Tuesday. <laughs> All the time, uh, which is why those experiences are so special when they happen. Um, yeah, all the time. Oh my God, like, yes. And then what keeps you going? Is it is it those moments with Mary <laughs> where you think it's, okay, it's all worth it? Oh, what keeps me going? Because, uh, you know, I don't really know what else to do with myself other than, <laughs> you know, make TV probably. Like I've been trying to think up a plan B for about 20 five years and it hasn't happened. I don't know. I really like a lot of the people that I work with and I can't imagine not ever working with them again. You know, there's so many great people that we bring in to produce these shows and, you know, it's been years of working with them and that's, it's just such a great, fun, creative, collaborative experience. I don't know. I think we're all suckers for punishment as producers in this business. I have no idea. Like, honestly, most of the time, like 75% of the time, it's just painful the entire way. And then you get to the end and you're like, oh my God, thank God. It's like a marathon. Every time you're like, oh, it was horrible, but we did it. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know. I, I think the people, the people, the occasional great experience that you get to have mm -hmm. or great idea that you get to see fulfilled. I also genuinely love supporting artists and supporting creative people and, and watching them get better and watching them feel empowered to do their best work. Like as cheesy as that sounds, I really actually love that. Um, and I love working with, you know, as much as I love working with the standard, like, you know, lovely people that I do. I also love working with new talent. I love seeing somebody who has a great idea or has an incredible skill and, 
and really supporting them and getting to see them fulfill that. I really enjoy that. Yeah. And I think that there, and from, from an outsider perspective, there seems to be something a little bit magical in the water at proper going on. So, uh, I think that that must be <laughs> exciting to be around, you know, so many really talented people. So, and, and I mean, yeah. it's so much of a credit to, to you and your team to find those amazing ideas, but still, I think that there's something a little bit, a little bit special there. <laughs> um, so to finish off, I, I have to ask what, what you've been watching, what's the Canadian content that you would recommend at the moment? Of course, it can be something that you worked on. I mean, obviously Mary's show. Um, <laughs> Number one. Yeah. You know, I think it, it's funny. There's, you know, the stuff that I work on, of course, I'm proud of, and I would encourage anybody to watch that. Um, I, I think for, it's funny. A lot of people that I forget love car shows, like I said, have commented on Lost Car Rescue. And I think it, I really do. I'm very proud of the show. I think it's really great. And I, I, it's one that I would definitely like recommend people watch. I think uh, the bake show is just a beautiful, beautiful show um, that proper does. And then, you know, there's, there's like so many great shows on CBC right now. Like, honestly, I just keep seeing show after show that they're doing both inscripted and unscripted. That makes me really proud. I'm like, they're, they're doing some really great work and they have been for, for a long time. No, those were good recommendations, at least to find uh get people started. And I think, um, the June motel was, uh, the Mm -hmm. motel makeover that was proper, wasn't it? Yes. Yes. I watched that recently and I, I just loved it. I loved everything about it actually. (laughs) Yeah. That was a great, great show. Yeah. Really great talent and a great producer attached to it. Yeah. That was excellent show. Yeah. I I just had to mention it because it was, yeah, really rocked my world, um, during, (laughs) during COVID. Um, well, thank you so, so much for your time. It was, this was so much fun to speak with you. You gave so many interesting, fun nuggets. (laughs) My pleasure. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening and be sure to follow us on Instagram at Canadian made podcast, or send us an email at Canadian made podcast at gmail.com. See you next Wednesday.